É uma, uma tarefa difícil? É. Mas não podemos continuar fazendo o que foi feito ao longo dos 30 anos. O Brasil está aí, à beira do abismo. This is Jair Bolsonaro, a far-right politician who is the favorite to win Brazil's presidential race. In the first round of the presidential election, he got almost 50 million votes, despite being called every bad name in the book, including fascist and a Nazi. Sunday's results show that the global conservative wave ended up becoming a tsunami in Brazil. Never before have so many military men got elected into public office, from 18 in 2014 to 67 this year. That's a record since Brazil became a democracy. The presence of religious leaders in both houses of Congress, which was already substantial, got even bigger. And even more gun lobbyists got a seat too. How much of that is due to this conservative wave that led Donald Trump to the White House, the British to vote for Brexit, and Eastern European countries like Poland and Hungary become less and less democratic? How much of it is simply due to the anti-system sentiment? And how much of that is out of sheer hatred for the Workers' Party and their jailed leader Lula? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. With me today, Ewan Marshall, staff writer at the Brazilian Report. Hello, Ewan. Hello. Ewan, Brazilian political parties did everything in their power to curb renewal. They changed the electoral laws, cut the campaign short, centralized campaign funds in the hands of a few establishment leaders. And still we've got arguably the biggest renewal rate in Brazilian democratic history. Several dynasties lost the races they were in, many governors didn't even make it to the runoff stage, and most of those who did come as underdogs. So what happened on Sunday? Well, I think, as you mentioned earlier in the introduction, that there is a massive diversity of factors which we're going to be looking at quite a lot actually over the next few years we're only going to be able to discover exactly what happened on Sunday with some hindsight in you know maybe three or four years time but I think you mentioned more or less everything that is at play one of the massive things is the anti-establishment sentiment that we're seeing which so many of these really traditional politicians losing their seats seats that they have held for decades even in some cases And a lot of old political families in certain parts of Brazil almost disappearing from office, which is unprecedented in Brazil's democratic history so far. And obviously what we also have to talk about is this anti-workers party sentiment, which is almost inexplicable. The intensity of that sentiment and how, 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 how fervently people feel this hatred towards the Workers' Party has really shown its face in many different races this year. We've seen it for the presidential race, we've seen it for the state governor's races, and we've seen it for the Congress. So, And I think it's almost inseparable from the anti-system sentiment, because the Workers' Party won the last four uh, presidential elections, they were in office for 13 years, So it's kind of, they, they become the, um, the lightning rod for all this rejection towards the system, right? Yeah, most definitely. It's, it seems to be 
obviously there, is, there, there are understandable reasons why people would dislike the workers, workers' party and even reach to hate the workers' party. But I think, in, for the most part, a lot of the anti-workers' party sentiment is displacement from exactly what you're saying, like the, this connection of uh, the workers' party to being the party of the system, the party of the establishment, because simply because they were the ones in government and they were the ones who won the elections during this kind of recent period where a lot of people are feeling really disenchanted with Brazil, whether that be by corruption or whether that be by the economy or all sorts of factors that people feel kind of out of touch with Brazil and they displace all of that blame onto a single political party. But yeah, obviously there is a mix between... uh, There's a lot of overlapping between anti-establishment, anti-system voting and anti-workers party voting. And the conservative... Uh, movement because Brazil is a very conservative society. Most Brazilians are against abortion rights, are against uh, gay marriage. Uh, the, the rates are declining, and Brazil is getting more and more progressive, more and more inclusive. But yeah, we remain a very closed, a very uh, conservative society. So uh, for me, the success of Jair Bolsonaro is. Uh, the result of those three things, uh, he embodies the anti-system. Uh, and even if he is in office for the past, he, he, he is serving his seventh term, but he has always remained in the fringes of politics. Uh, he ran for House Speaker in a very strategic move. If you look back uh, just a couple of years ago, he, he tried to become the 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 house speaker he got four votes not even his son voted for him yeah and while for some people that is the way of saying well he could never do a coalition for him is a discourse that says i'm not with all of those crooks i'm different and that's why they don't accept me mm, yeah and and it's interesting actually now that you mentioned that when we look at his when we look at his team, when we look at his campaign team and his economic guru, uh, Paulo Gedges, he's also kind of depicted as one of these guys within the financial uh, within the financial scene as being this kind of outsider who has never been invited uh, for a position in government. And he seems to be a bit sore about that, actually. And so he kind of works quite well with Bolsonaro in that respect. And I think, like, so we're seeing, we saw a lot of renewal in Congress, so a lot of people who had had their seats for a long time um, losing their re-elections. But at the same time, the people who were put into their place, so many of them have connections or were endorsed to or are just from the same party as Jair Bolsonaro, who is oh. the real phenomenon in the election. And even when they didn't have an endorsement from Bolsonaro, they tried to connect their image to Bolsonaro's image at all costs. We saw that uh, in Minas Gerais, when this guy from Novo, which is a neutral-libertarian party um, that is not connected to Bolsonaro, that tries to be anti-system, when he said in a debate that people should vote for new guys like Bolsonaro, uh, he went from 15% to 41% of votes. Yep, yep. And we saw the same thing in Rio as well with their their governor's race. Uh, A former federal judge he essentially was like where he began polling in the single figures i believe in rio and no one had really heard of him uh wilson witzel 
until essentially the same thing a week before the a week before the election in the final debate he gestures towards uh, Jair Bolsonaro and he also gets the support of his Jair Bolsonaro's son Flavio who won a Senate seat in Rio and as soon as he does that he rockets up to the top of the polls and now he will be in the runoff against proper establishment candidate Eduardo Paes and you kind of you already know how that's going to end yeah no and uh Let's not forget of the congressional races because Jair Bolsonaro's son uh, became the best voted candidate for Congress in Brazilian democratic history. Yeah. And uh, the woman who shared the stage during the launch of Jair Bolsonaro's candidacy, lawyer Janaina Pascual, got more than 2 million votes. So she was the best voted person uh, for state legislature in the history of Brazil. Mm hmm. All of that because they were connected to Bolsonaro. So Bolsonaro kind of becomes 2018's kingmaker. In that regard, it's he mirrors Lula in the opposite side. Because if you go to the Northeast, for instance, uh, a lot of campaigns for Senate and for the House, their slogan was, this guy is Lula's guy. Mm. He is Lula's senator. He is Lula's congressman. And a lot of those guys got elected thanks to Lula. In other parts of Brazil, a lot of guys got elected thanks to Bolsonaro. Exactly, exactly. And we're going to see this opposition now in the runoff stage. So the runoff stage, the presidential election, will be decided between Jair Bolsonaro, who got 46% of a valid vote, so almost 50 million votes mm -hmm. and uh, workers party candidate Fernando Haddad who got 29 and something so almost 30% of votes which is much lower than the workers party has recently fared and lower than what uh, the, the runner-ups in the first round got in previous elections as well. It's Jair Bolsonaro's election to lose right well if you're looking at it in terms of the precedent like the statistical precedent of this particular second round you would say that yeah there's more or less we have a very clear favorite in Jair Bolsonaro but also let's remember that this is not an ordinary election and the the sample size as well for 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 Brazilian elections is especially second round elections is actually quite low we've only had like five I think since Brazil and became a democracy. Yeah, and this race has been crazy, right? More more than usual, actually. Yeah, well, we had uh, we had Bolsonaro stabbed at the, on 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 September the sixth, which was a lot of people have completely forgotten about that now. I mean, it seems it seems like a, an absolute decade ago that he was in hospital. And yeah, it was we're... only one month ago. Exactly. And I think we've, we must have more things to come in these next three weeks. And Haddad just got to look at this. He's got to look at this as an opportunity because there is ground to be gained. When we talk about 46% of valid votes, we are obviously keeping in mind that that doesn't include the people who spoiled their ballots and also doesn't include the, the people who abstained from the election, which was reasonably high, around 20%, yeah. I believe it was. Spoiled votes... Plus, uh, abstention got to 29%. Right, yeah. So, when so you one have, third of the electorate is up for grabs. Yeah, and maybe one third, you could say, actually voted for Jair Bolsonaro, as, as opposed to this idea that he's right, right below 50%. So, 
there is ground to be gained, though it is notoriously difficult to kind of draw people who have abstained in the first round or have spoiled the ballots in the first round. It's difficult to draw them into the election again in the second round because historically it goes the opposite way. You will get more bu- uh, ballots spoiled in the second round. But there is a roadmap to the presidency for Fernando Haddad. He's already showing signs that he wants to be a center candidate, not a center left, but a centrist candidate. He has already uh, backpedaled in a lot of the proposals made by his party, like proposing a new constitution. He said, no, we're going to play by the book and change through congressional amendments as we always have. Uh, he has minimized the role of historically influential people in his party, saying that no, nobody speaks for me but me. Uh, but still, um, what, what I think lacked in his campaign the first round is that for me, he looked a lot like a, a candidate under surveillance, under a short leash from both his party and from his political mentor, Lula. He was doing what he was told to do, uh, even if Haddad historically has been a more independent person within the Workers' Party, he is maybe the only high-profile uh, Workers' Party politician who has admitted to the many mistakes that the party made while in power. Uh, he is not like your typical Workers' Party member of the top brass. Yeah, and, and, and we've seen that. We, we saw that through the first round campaign, actually. There was some of the... Some of the other kind of traditional members of PT around, like, for example, the the chairperson, Glazy Hoffman, who appears to be slightly opposed to Fernando Haddad, as uh, you would suggest that that is a, that, that's a power struggle thing within the party, because obviously if Fernando Haddad was to win the election, she her, her role inside the party would be, would, would be minimised. And she also... Uh, she also put him into hot water quite a few times with some of her statements during the campaign suggesting that as soon as Haddad is elected president um, Lola will be out of jail you know within a week that sort of thing which is when you've got someone like Lola who is the most loved politician in Brazil and the most hated politician in Brazil at the same time it's dangerous to do that when it looks like Haddad in the first round kind of reached the ceiling of the I'm Lula's guy. This is how many votes that you can get if you're essentially Lula's surrogate. And one thing that is weird in this election, and let me see if you agree with me, but we have two candidates who have virtually not campaigned in the first round. Jair Bolsonaro, because he got stabbed and he was sidelined for the last month leading up to the election day. And Fernando Dadj was the exact opposite. Uh, Lula was convicted and imprisoned, and therefore he would be tossed out of the election because of Brazil's electoral rules. If you uh, have multiple convictions in multiple levels of justice, he, you are ineligible automatically. But uh, the party stuck with Lula to reinforce their discourse that this is all sham, that uh, uh, law enforcement and the institutions are trying to tamper with the election and saying, well, we cannot prevent Lula from winning in the ballot, so let's prevent him from being on the ballot altogether. Mm-hmm. And uh, he only got, he only became a candidate on September th- uh, 4th, if I'm not mistaken. So two days before 
uh, Bolsonaro was stabbed. So they never campaigned uh, at the same time. Yep. When Bolsonaro was uh, an active candidate, Haddad was this so-called VP nominee for Lula. And then when Haddad became the candidate, Bolsonaro was in the hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we're going to see they, them facing off for the first time. And they have very different styles. Yeah, well, well we're going to have six debates between now and the the second round of voting. And as you say, it will be fascinating to finally see them up against each other because obviously when Fernando Haddad was as the vice president nominee, uh, the Workers' Party requested this, but he wasn't allowed in any of the debates. Uh, and Jair Bolsonaro, I believe, attended maybe one or two of the of the, of the presidential debates. And in both times, even uh, in interviews which he had with like panel interviews with specialists um, on Brazilian television. He showed himself to be... He didn't look particularly comfortable in that sort of setting. And that was something where, looking at the Bolsonaro campaign a year ago, people thought that, yeah, well, you know, he might have some support, but the minute we get to the debates, he's going to be destroyed by some of these other candidates. But we never really got to see that because we never really got to see him in a debate. And now... We will have the, the small sample we had was not very positive for Bolsonaro, though. Yeah, when when he was pressed on things like the economy, like fiscal policy, he jittered a little bit. The problem is because Bolsonaro in the past has showed so much fondness for torturers, for the dictatorship, people get stuck in this kind of debate, which voters are clearly not giving a damn about it. They uh. The only things that may have an effect, in my opinion, is talking about the economy. We have almost 13 million people out of a job. We have a sluggish economy for the past, and people are feeling that. So people want solutions for the economy. And for me, also, that's why Bolsonaro got so many votes. He offers simple, often wrong, solutions for problems. And I think that now what we're going to see is, well, you're right, that he does offer some sort of solutions or at least offer some sort of response to these things, but it's often incredibly oversimplified. Yeah. And when you take a kind of, when, when, you, when you pull back the curtain and you have a look at the actual uh, proposals and the government plan that is there, it is incredibly shallow and it's incredibly lacking in any actual proposals or solutions um and it's very looking at the rear view mirror because he doesn't have almost any proposal in terms of climate change in terms of global warming his environmental policies are practically non-existent well his environmental policy is to scrap the environmental ministry altogether <laughs> but yeah so and, and i think that this is definitely somewhere where haddad can get at him um, in terms of his the proposals that he has and some of the proposals that some of his allies or some of his campaign uh, team have actually proposed themselves like such as this uh, financial transactions tax which uh, is his economic guru was proposing at some point which is extremely extremely unpopular and bolsonaro already had to contradict um his his future finance minister if he's elected uh, paulo gedges saying that he doesn't represent him when he's saying that that he's not going to reintroduce that tax and we also had his his vice president who's a um, retired army general uh, hamilton moreau who has been firing off an incredible amount of 
incredible amount of statements in the past month or so. If any other candidate had their VP nominee saying the things like, we're going to cut bonus salaries at the end of the year, we're going to scrap the, uh, to slash the constitution and build a new one altogether with experts, not people elected by Brazilians. No. If any other VP nominee said those things, the candidacy would be crushed. In Bolsonaro's case, people are like, yeah, but it was not him who said that. And he's already said that he doesn't believe in those things. But, but one question, because um, so on Monday night, both candidates gave short interviews to Globo, Brazil's leading TV station. Both of them responded to questions about whether or not they will keep and respect the Constitution, which if if, if we believe that to have both candidates saying that they will respect the Constitution, that's a good thing. Like, that's the bare minimum. What I want to ask you is, in his interview, Fernando Dejo said... Democracy is at stake. Our rights are at stake. Do you believe that this is the right approach? Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a controversial issue which the country is still split on, and the country is still split on the lines more or less uh, the the lines that they voted in this first round of elections. And if they do go into that, if they do go into that subject of Dilma Rousseff being removed from office, they are going to risk alienating all of the people who aren't voting for them anyway but who they need to win over it's a, it's a very dangerous solution and it's also if you're trying to if you're trying to hit bolsonaro and bolsonaro's voters as somehow not respecting democracy which there's a decent argument that the bolsonaro campaign is not respecting democracy or doesn't plan to respect democracy but when you use that tactic you are again you're further alienating the people who you're inevitably you're going to have to steal some votes from Bolsonaro. So yeah. perhaps it's not a good idea to victimize his uh, electorate so much. Yeah, I agree with you. And like you said, if they don't steal votes from Bolsonaro, this campaign is lost. They're not going to be able just to try to bring voters that did not show up to the ballot, to the polls on Sunday. They will have to get people who voted for Lula in the past and now are voting for Bolsonaro. Calling these people fascists and calling, saying that these people don't respect democracy is not the best way to start a conversation with them. Yeah, well, either either they will have to convert some of Bolsonaro's electorate or try to convince them or perhaps even create, a, create an environment in which some of these Bolsonaro voters will spoil their ballots instead of voting for Bolsonaro in the second round. Which I suppose... That is a. I think that's quite a dangerous tactic because to do that, you either need to do what Bolsonaro should really, sorry, what Fernando Haddad really should do, and expose Jair Bolsonaro's campaign as being quite weak and quite shallow, or you have to try and strike fear into their hearts and think like, oh, if you you can't vote for Bolsonaro because all sorts of terrible things are going to happen, and that's not really. People have been trying that throughout the first round, and it's not—it's not working. It's not sticking at all. So you need to treat him as a presidential candidate who has forty-six percent of the votes, yeah. and then ha he has to be accountable for his proposals. He has to be accountable for his campaign. So we have to pay a lot of attention to the debates, I believe, where, which is where this election is going to be decided. If it goes to—if it goes to Fernando Haddad, I think it's going to be decided at least. Firstly, from the debates, and then from some other some other voting wave. After that, you have to you have to treat him as your peer in this situation, 
as your competitor and not as some sort of anti-democratic monster who is going to turn into Adolf Hitler as soon as he's elected. Whatever your whatever your beliefs about Bolsonaro and his uh, flirting with fascism and his, his his disrespect for democracy, at this stage, you've got to play the politics game. You've got to debate him and show you can promise the better future for the country. That's the only way you're going to win over votes. We're taping this podcast on Tuesday uh, afternoon and tomorrow on Wednesday, we're going to have the first poll. So we're going to know where the dispute is starting from. It's going to be quite interesting. Thanks, Ewan, for, for joining me for this podcast. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's Brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazil's politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services. If you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day, subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really free. You don't have to put any credit card information. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. Thank you very much. See you next week. Mm-hmm.